0: Well, good morning, and turn with me to Psalm 115. It's a psalm that's going to help us close out the year together. The comedian Mike Birbiglia he has this rare sleepwalking condition. It's called REM behavior disorder. And basically, he goes to sleep, but his body doesn't. And he finally realized that this was a problem when he jumped out of a second-story hotel window, and the window was still closed. Uh, So he ended up... Showing up at the ER, all bloody. He had a a cut, just just barely missed his femoral artery. He had been having this dream uh, that he was a secret agent and there was a guided missile coming right for his hotel room that he needed to escape. And so ever since then, what he does at night is he has his wife zip him up into his own little sleeping bag. And he has to wear mittens so that he can't unzip himself and wander out uh, at night. Uh, The only problem is his cat takes advantage of this in the morning and shows up on his chest and swats him in the face while he's defenseless. Uh, It's very possible that we could be in a similar condition. We we are about to jump into another decade. And it's possible we're not aware of what we're doing. We we are not conscious of our surroundings. We could be sleepwalking into the next year. And so this is a psalm that's going to help us get our bearings. It's going to help orient life for us. So let's read together in verse 1. Not to us... O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of human hands They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. We are coming from the Christmas season and, and something wonderful and a bit traumatic happens. When my children are given a gift card, because we'll head to the store with them, and, and they're just confronted with all of the possibilities. You know, Not just one toy that was pre-selected for, you know anything in this store could be yours, as long as it's less than 20 dollars, right? You can't pick anything out. Um, and, and they'll find something that they, they like, but they're just not sure they're ready to commit, you know because they, they have to see everything out there. It's just the the promise of something better awaits them. And and, and there's a psychological term for what they experience. It's called choice anxiety. It's what you might feel, you know, browsing through Netflix and looking at a hundred options, not sure what to watch, and then you realize you've you've wasted an hour of your time. But but researchers are finding that happiness comes not from open ended opportunity, but from commitment. Look at this thought from Rebecca McLaughlin. She says, I first encountered this data through Harvard professor Dan Gilbert, who describes one study in which subjects were allowed to choose a print from a selection of beautiful paintings. Those who were told they could change their minds ended up less satisfied with their prints than those who made clear choices. Everybody who's married, pay attention to this quote. Right. This and many similar studies have shown that commitment, not unlimited choice, breeds happiness. Loosening commitment, for example, telling the subjects they could come back anytime in the next week and trade in their prints, decreases satisfaction. As does increasing choice beyond a certain point. At the trivial end of the spectrum, if someone is offered a large array of chocolates to choose from, say 30 rather than six, he or she is less likely to choose. This year, the, the New, York columnist, New York Times columnist David Brooks came out with a book, and it was titled The Second Mountain, and it was a study of joy. And he researched joyful people and, and he argues that true satisfaction doesn't come from, you know, being true to yourself, but from living a life that surrendered to commitment. He, he says that most people begin their adult lives and they're journeying up some mountain of, of personal fulfillment and career ambition and travel and a desire for an aesthetic or Instagrammable life. But when they, when they hit that peak, they find that they're strangely unfulfilled. And normally some valley of trouble follows, some experience of loss or confusing circumstances. But then they see a higher second mountain. And they realize that this was the one that they were made for. Some, some cause worth giving themselves toward, an, an overriding purpose Not of unending options and freedom from any constraint, but from commitment. And we live in a culture that wants us to be available to everything. Not tied down to anything in particular. Always considering what new approaches to life might offer. Being open-minded to other religious viewpoints and spiritual perspectives. But G.K. Chesterton once said that the purpose of an open mind is like that of an open mouth. It's supposed to close on something. And this is a psalm that was written to help the people of God close on something. To consider their commitments. To be clear. It's a song of rededication to the Lord. And it calls us to examine our loyalties. It raises questions for us at the end of a year questions like whose glory are you seeking whose likeness are you resembling whose abilities are you trusting and whose blessing are you pursuing this will help us not only reflect on 2019 but will provide us something to aim at next year and to enter it with hope so, first, whose glory are you seeking? Verse one Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. This is one of the most countercultural verses in the Bible. Because our, our, our culture is so self focused. Right? That, that is the only appeal that marketing departments ever aim at. You know, how, how this product is going to make your life more convenient. How it's going to cause you to look good or cause reality to better orbit around you. But life is about God. And how, how's that for an understatement? It, it's not about us. Everything exists for the glory of God. Anything else is a, a small mountain to abandon. On your way to true peaks of joy. But, but it's so easy to, to enter another year. And, and by default, our driving concerns are the, the improvement of our own lives. How, how I can secure my comfort. How I can get other people to cooperate with my plan. How I can get them to see things from my perspective. How I can ensure that those difficulties I face this year don't return. How I can rid myself from anything that just feels complicated or over demanding. I can finally experience some of the things that I think I deserve. And like James and John bringing their request to Jesus, we want to share in the glory it doesn't mean we want to star in our own reality TV show. We, 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 just, we just want life to be a lot easier. <laughs> and we want to look good in it, right? How, how can I come out just looking like a capable person? And so we spend our energy there. Missing what God is up to for the glory of his name. But nothing is of more value Than the glory of God. Nothing is more central in the Bible. And in all existence. There's no reality more precious. Than for God to be seen as he is. No concern. From the the personal to the global. is, Is taken high enough or deep enough. Unless it is taken all the way to the glory of God. Whatever the topic, we don't know the most important thing about it unless we know how it is connected to God. so, So don't try to do marriage or manage a career or engage a social cause unless you know that those things are not about you. They are about God. The British abolitionist William Wilberforce, when the bill was passed to end the British slave trade, he meditated on Psalm 115 verse 1. And and think about this. This moment in history that seems to feature human need, bringing relief to an area of human suffering, opposing what was an assault on human dignity, and on top of that, representing forty five years of wilberforce 's own life and efforts, it was about God, not to us, but to your name be glory. Now Wilberforce he blazed the trail for human rights, but at his heart. He wasn't a humanitarian. His heart beat for the glory of God. And so he fought in, in, in an institution that marred the image of God in every person. And, and we have been throughout our history as a church and, and will continue to be into the next decade, a God-centered church. It's in our DNA and it will be our focus. But, but here's why this is good news because this verse is an appeal it's a prayer it's right to quote it like Wilberforce did in response to something that God has done to to give him praise to not just move on to the next thing without seeing that God is honored and and we need that practice how has God been good to you this year that's one of the reasons for our testimony service on Tuesday night? Did, did, did God save you this year? Did He heal you from an illness? Did He restore a relationship? Did, did He give you grace to endure a hard season? How has He been good to you the past 10 years? And we sung, Every blessing you pour out, we, we turn it back to praise. We want it to redound to the glory of his name. We say, God, you have done this. Not to us, but to you. But, but, but there's a plea here. Because the, the people of God are, are in a place of struggle. As this song is being written, they, they can feel the tremors. They can hear the the taunts of the surrounding nations. Israel is in disrepair. The the nation is in a state of deconstruction. And, And this is the appeal God, give concern to your glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness, God, we bear your name. Don't you care about the reputation of your name? Why should your enemies get the last word? Why should the the testimony of sin prevail? God has attached his glory to his people and he will intervene to rescue them and he will deliver them, get this, from circumstances that their own unfaithfulness, their own wandering hearts, have brought about, and He will save His people. Do you enter the new year with confidence, and why or why not? It's your answer to that question, based in you, why should you have the help of God? in 2020. Is that is that determined by your consistency, by your goodness, by your wisdom, by your life management? If so, we have no hope. But if you're in Christ, God has put his name on you and he is committed to being glorified in your life. From the big picture to the most mundane moments, Of course, Legos showed up at our house this Christmas, and I uh, read recently that scientists have, have taken Legos and cooled them down to 200,000 times colder than room temperature. It's almost absolute zero. And they put them to the test. And what they discovered is, is that the, the locking mechanism in, in Legos causes them to, to work as, as thermal insulators. And so that, that kind of design and that kind of material would be really helpful for building quantum computers. And all along, you, you thought Legos were only good as a torture device for unsuspecting barefoot dads <laughs> to step on. Just a way that kids get back at their parents. Right, but but, but this, is, this, is not, this is not a significance that the creator of Legos had in mind. But God has attached significance to us. Little Legos that we are. He will build us for his purposes. He will ensure that his will is fulfilled in our lives. And, and, and this is a truth that we need for the disorienting days. That we live in. Right? In verse 2, this question arises Where is your God? It's a question we confront. We hear it from the voices of unbelief proclaiming God's irrelevance. We can hear it in our own souls life is disillusioning. So often it's marked by things falling apart, by loss, by unfulfilled plans and dreams crumbling before you. And maybe maybe you're coming to the end of a year of grief. Maybe some of you entered into the holiday season and Familiar names and family members weren't at the table with you this year. and Maybe that just characterized life for you right now. One missing feature after another. It just feels like everything is moving backwards. Has God retreated? We, we, we need a skill. Ed Welch gives this illustration. We, we need to develop object permanence. It's that that ability to to know that something still exists even when it can't be perceived. It's what allows you to be a really impressive magician to an infant because you can hide something behind your back and and for that period of time, it no longer exists. And then ex nihilo, you bring it out and you've created something new before their eyes, right? The wonder of that. Eventually you realize uh, that's just behind your back and they they turn and, and look behind you and see that it's still there. God's people, we we need the skill of object permanence when our vision is clouded, when life is disorienting, when we don't feel God's presence. But but this is not just a rhetorical question here, because we're given an answer. Where is God? He's in the heavens. He's doing everything he pleases. He is ruling from the place of perspective and sovereign control. He is exercising complete governance over creation, over the course of history, over nations, over the trajectories of our lives. He is unhindered, even if not unhindered opposed this year the supreme court changed its rules so now the the justices can't interrupt an oral argument before them until at least two minutes have gone by (laughs) they'll wait patiently for at least that long Uh, because beforehand some people all they would get out was the phrase may it please the court and somebody would jump in with interrogation so they decided we'll give you two minutes to make your best case and then we get to question you (laughs) But may it please the court. Really? This verse exposes that for the silly ceremony that it is. I mean, heaven, the courtroom of heaven must look down and think, that's really cute that y'all do that. God does everything he wants. There's no natural factor that can limit him. He has unhindered divine freedom. Everything his perfect wisdom, perfect good, goodness, perfect justice has determined is right. He isn't dependent on anything outside of himself to accomplish his will. He doesn't need our permission. He can act next year in a way that nothing about the history leading to it causes us To expect. I don't think that your anxiety and your cynicism are better at predicting the future than God is at making water show up in deserts and parting seas. Any obstacle standing in his way is never decisive. So Derek Kidner says, A God too great to tie down to any image or even the earth itself who is not the prisoner of circumstances, but their master is a God to glory in. He's a God worthy of our focus and of our worship. But when we don't live for the glory of God... Something else will always take that place. Something will serve as our goal, as the target for our lives, as our interpretive authority over what's desirable or what's a good thing to have as our source of value and security. There there will be some vision that we'll live for and that will become the image that we reflect over time. And so the psalmist wants us to stare that image in its lifeless face. And he writes a whole stanza about the futility of of idolatry. He says in verse 5, They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Idols are imperceptive, inert, impotent. They cannot see, hear, and act like the living God. And that's true in a, in a literal sense of statues and figures, but it's also true of the powers that they represent whether ancient deities or modern ambitions. Scripture saves its best sarcasm for idolatry, all right? So as you read the Bible next year, keep an eye open for irony because you, know, you, just, you just encounter it in one story after another. If you begin in Genesis... Right, Rachel steals her father Laban's household gods and, and she hides them in her tent and she sits on them. And when he comes in searching for them, she says, sorry, dad, that I'm not getting up. It's that time of the month. Hope you don't mind. But a God that can be stolen and sat on is no God at all. And Isaiah, he, he satirizes Idol worshipers. He says, you, you, you cut off a piece of wood and you take half of it and you make a fire and you, you cook your meal over that and then the other half you pray to and ask for deliverance. He says, God's blinded their eyes. They live for their delusions. What are you looking to to rescue you? It can be just as silly as that block of wood. What are you hoping will fix your life? You realize you can dedicate yourself to things that can never produce what you need most. They, they don't reciprocate the affection and the concern that you bring to them. They, they don't lift a finger to help in times of need. They don't speak a word of encouragement or direction. You can invest your thoughts and emotions in the dream of a certain lifestyle, in the approval of people, in success, in financial stability. And even if those things arrive, they can't make you whole. This is illustrated really well in, in the novel Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. It tells the story of this 30-year-old woman. She's a bit of a social misfit, tends to just keep to herself and her own routines until she happens to attend this concert and, and this moderately famous musician is, is, is the act before the main attraction and he's on stage and somehow she becomes convinced that she has finally seen the love of her life. And so she starts to make plans and preparations. She gets a new wardrobe, new hairstyle, new, new makeup. She's trying to think through what's it going to be like to, you know, have to accommodate the lifestyle of somebody who's in a relationship with a celebrity. You know, there's all kinds of new things to have to consider. And so she's doing research on this. And then she attends one of his concerts. And she is a face in the crowd that he doesn't see or notice. And it all comes crashing down in this moment of realization. That she, she's a 30 year old woman with this childlike crush on somebody who has no idea that she exists. And who right now happens to be checking out his hair and his phone while one of his bandmates is doing a solo. And it, it, it's, it's a moment where the, the, the bottom falls out under her feet. The problem with idols is not just that we waste our time on something that isn't a very good conversation partner. The danger is that we become just as lifeless. And so he says, verse eight, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. This is a biblical principle. In fact, it's a law that governs our existence. Don't do life without this insight. You are what you eat, but you become what you worship. Greg Beale says, what we revere, we will resemble. Either for our ruin or for our restoration. I'll read that again. What we revere, we will resemble. Either for our ruin or for our restoration. Something that we can be sure will be developing further in the next decade is artificial intelligence technology. And, and, you know, if you do any interaction with Siri and Alexa, you kind of already have a feel for where this is at but I heard recently about an app uh, that's called Replica and what it does is it allows you to have a conversation, ongoing kind of relationship really with this bot that runs based on its own algorithms but what it does is over time it, it changes to conform to your personality. So the, the kinds of questions you ask it, the kinds of answers that you give, it starts to act and speak more and more like you. Now, they, they give this warning. They say, warning, Replica is not a dating app. A few of the early users have reported that they fell in love with their AI creatures, right? That, that, that's a pretty convenient relationship, just fall in love with you. But we, we will always replicate something. And, and we will learn to respond to life based on some input that we've received. And that starts to write the script for us. You pay attention to how you are being formed and shaped. Some of us, we're just sleepwalking and we don't even notice how we've changed. We don't even notice the accumulation over time of ways of approaching life, responding to people, interacting with our circumstances, we're different. Slowly. At the end of 2019, you find that you're more anxious than you used to be. People of God are people who change. And we're supposed to be changing based on what we're beholding but we will always resemble what's been getting our respect. You anxious? Right? Idols offer an illusion of control, but they wield no power. And so they delivered no assurance and you become like them. Thinking that by your worry, and by your mental management, you can somehow bring the universe into the place where it needs to be. You have no power over your destiny. And neither do the things that get your attention. Are, are you more impatient? Idols are exacting things, they are demanding, they expect people and circumstances to conform to their will. You become like them. If you're more prone to complain these days, first of all, do you notice that about you? You might need to ask some people because they get to be audience to your complaints. Why is that the case? Why would you be surprised that the world doesn't work for you? What has created that in you? Are you less flexible? Unable to cooperate with others, to partner with those who are different, more stuck in your own ways and not budging from your own perspective? Idols are stone-like creatures. They don't make movement toward anyone, but they expect everyone else to come to them. Do you have depth and substance? Or have you become shallow, absorbed in trivialities, having given yourself only to entertainment, constant device scrolling. You become shifty and inattentive to what matters. You, you live a life of distraction just like the eye world that always gets your eyes. Have you become dull to the things of God? Unable to hear from Him? And This psalm, it, it uses sensory language to describe how this happens, right? There's this desensitization over time. Your ability to perceive and experience what is meaningful, to interact with the God that you were made for, it begins to fade. Is there, is there a lack of vitality in your walk with God? If that's the case, if, if prayer's more difficult... Reading the Bible is no longer an adventure. Worship is a disengaged experience. Keep following that thread through and you will find you, you you are plugged into something that is sucking the life out of you. And what was designed, faculties that were created to be used in worship of your creator, those resources are spent up. And you might come here on Sunday morning And you're on like 10% battery life. And that's what we have. To hear from him. To respond to him. To have hearts that are available to him. Are you controlled by addiction? And there are physiological issues that can be involved in that. Chemical dependence. But ultimately addiction is a worship disorder. Right? And idols are slave drivers. You will become like them. You, you will force your entire world to answer to them. You, you will sacrifice your job, your money, your relationships in service of another drink or another hit or another pull of the slot machine. And like an obedient servant, you will give yourself to what has command over you. And and, and we can't have a superficial understanding of this because you can change your behavior without changing what gets your heart. Our Jeremy Pierre, he introduces this concept of idol hopping. This is really insightful. He says, one of the ways people keep themselves from facing the harsh reality that they are being controlled by idols is by idol hopping. People are embarrassed by too much dedication to one thing. No one wants to admit being dominated, since the point of idol worship is self-determination after all. They therefore resist one life-dominating idol by replacing it with another with a similar promise. What sports promise people in their teenage years, their careers promise in their 30s. What one relationship promises, another relationship tries to provide when the first one fails. What one fixation promises, another and fails to deliver, the next fixation will gladly swear it can fulfill. People can dispose of a particular idol easily if another idol is standing by with a promise to deliver the same motivating value, all the while muting and deadening the human heart. And and the new year can make us particularly susceptible to this, to idle hopping. And so you, you hop from pornography to a routine of exercise. All right? Obviously much better to do with your your time. But, but if we're not paying attention to what we're actually after, if... If pornography was a means of escaping a life that you didn't enjoy, it's possible that fitness now is there to just make you feel better about yourself. To make you feel like you've cleaned up your act. It doesn't mean that there's a heart that's been restored to God. The same insecurities can lead you to overeat in one season and be hyper aware of your diet in another. You can move from a self-pitied resignation, kind of just this Eeyore perspective, keeping to yourself, and you can hop from that to this autonomy, this self-willed, I'm taking control of my life. Nobody's going to tell me what I can do. I decide what's best for me. And something that you've been staring at lately lately makes that feel right. We become what we behold. And in contrast to the idol worshippers, Psalm 34 verse 5 says, Those who look to the Lord are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. You resemble the one you revere. And third, whose abilities are you trusting? This song Points us in the direction of the Lord. It helps to orient our trust. And so there's this refrain to sing. O Israel, trust in the Lord. And then the congregation answers. He is their help and their shield. And this is a call and response. You get to participate now. That's your line. He is their help and their shield. Right? O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Trust him. He's not like your idols. we, We can get such a distorted perspective of God and think he's like just anything else. In this created fallen world. Like he's not actually an active agent in our lives. He is worthy of our trust. He is the living God. He hears our prayers. He speaks through his word. He leads and guides his people. His right arm is strong to save. He wields sovereign authority over everything. Pour out your heart. Before him, bring to him your trouble, and how do you respond to the helplessness that you feel to factors outside of your control, the uncertainties you face or job issues that you 're confronting maybe you 're unemployed right now, maybe it doesn 't look good for the future. Factors in your family. Concern about caring for parents in their aging years. Maybe for some of you on the other end of the spectrum, just observing patterns in your children that can be alarming and you just mentally extrapolate that out and you, you see the day and you're just convinced, all right, they're, they're gonna arrive in prison. They're gonna be living under a bridge. What do you do with the realities of life that at the end of the day in a, in a moment of clarity and honesty, you have influence over them, but you don't control them. What are you looking to? If you are trusting in your abilities, welcome to a world of panic. We, we don't know what awaits us in the next decade. But in a broken world, it it can be guaranteed that something is coming that will cause you to shut down or freak out or blow up in anger or turn on the people who are closest to you or just withdraw if your trust is in you, if your trust is in humanity. In Jeremiah 17 the way it puts it if if your trust is in what flesh can produce you you become like a shriveled plant in the desert you become prickly and thorny and you are in a place of panic but all the while for the people of God the Lord is your help and your shield You need object permanence. You need to perceive. That's who he is. That's how he's engaged in your life and in your world. That is your destiny for years to come. Look, I I, I know this. I do some counseling. So I, I know there's... There's no trust switch to just flip. I mean, I just wish sometimes to have that. I wish there were an impartation of this truth, this Bible verse, and all right, the, the switch is flipped, and now we trust him, and now we feel safe, and now we, we feel surrounded by the help and the hand of God as we interact with the places of struggle in life. And that doesn't exist. And if we quote Bible verses in that way with people, we're probably not serving them. There's a lot of interference inside of us. There's a lot of noise. Feelings of fear that we find we're we're not able to move away from. Thoughts and ideas that we just can't dislodge from our minds. There's no switch. But there is a God who is available to you. There's a God who calls you to draw near to Him. There are words of truth to take into your soul, to run over your mind, to allow them to to be fanned into flame. Go to Him. He is available to you. And over time, as you pour out your heart to Him, you spend time with Him in prayer. As you meditate on his truth, you, you will find there's an awakening of confidence. There might not be circumstantial change that's happened. But you are aware, not just of the concept, but of the experience of God's nearness and God's help and the shield that surrounds you. We need to hear in our souls his blessing. And that's our final thought for this morning. Whose blessing are you pursuing? Or whose favor are you seeking for the new year? Wh- whose approval do you need to have in order for you to be okay? In order for it to be good? Is there the recognition of some supervisor? Or some relationship that affirms you? What has to come into alignment in order for you to have permission to have joy? What do you feel like you need to be released from? The moment I no longer have to deal with this, then everything will be okay. What holds that authority over you? What are you looking to to pronounce a blessing on life for you? And traditionally, a, a groom, he seeks the blessing of his bride's father in order to move forward with marriage. And, and, and we do that in other dimensions of life. We, before we can feel like we can move forward, I need blessing from somewhere. And, and this benediction gets pronounced over Israel and over you and me. Right? Verse 12, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He's he's been mindful of us. That's, That's the sense of that Hebrew phrase. He has us on his mind. Even when we forget him. Even when our minds and our hearts have wandered. He considers us. He has plans and purposes for us. There's blessing available to us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. There's expectation and hope here. May the Lord give you increase. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. And, and, and this is not a thin word in the Bible. This isn't like hashtag blessed that you tag onto your social media posts, right? Which I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. It's like, have a good day. You know, it's it, it just thin, it's hollow. This is a thick word here. Timothy and Kathy Keller write, the word bless or blessed is repeated five times. The word means richness. Fullness, multi dimensional thriving, and satisfaction. Joy. Idols cannot give it. Derek Kinder says we must have the smile and creative touch of God if we are to thrive. How do you get that? What grace is by definition undeserved. Favor from God. Based in a God who does things for his own reasons and for the glory of his own name, the blessed God who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing. It's ours, both small and great. I love love that that's thrown in. Just, you know, he's mentioned big names here like the house of Aaron, the important people. He says "This, this applies to everyone who's among the people of God. For us, everyone who is in Christ, it's not your social standing, it's not your personality, it's not your wealth, it's not based in whether you are married or single, it's not based in your role in the body of Christ. None of those factors put you in any better position to receive the blessing of God. And He blesses us in the responsibilities that he's entrusted to us. This is verse 16. That The heavens are the Lord's heavens. But the earth he has given to the children of men. To, to work and to keep. Right? He's, he's assigned to us a, a stewardship. There are things that you're responsible for next year. People and places that God has sent you. To be faithful. This is how to live your your blessed life now, you know. To have confidence from God that he is with us and to seek to be faithful in the time in which he has assigned us. And and we don't get to choose that. None of us get to select the the time in history in which we are born, in which we live, that, that you and I, Lord willing, if he tarries, we are entering into 2020 this week and there is a stewardship that we have received from his hand. And just like in Genesis 1 and 2, God places Adam and Eve in the garden to work and to keep it and it says God blessed them. He does that. He he blesses us as he sends us into 2020 in the time that we have. And there's a little word of urgency that's here, right? The the dead do not praise the Lord in verse 17, nor do any who go down into silence. And if you if you live in life spiritually dead, unaware of God, that's the condition that you remain in. Osgood is in his. His book, Carpe Diem, Redeemed, he quotes the maxim, you only live once, if then. We're we're familiar with YOLO, you only live once. Uh, Not guaranteed. God awakens life. And we who live, we who respond to God, we who have received the the blessing of being in relationship with Him, the, the, the ticking clock on this earth, it is racing and in one sense, we, we face the same limitations of time as the rest of humanity. And yet in another sense, look at what he says. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It never ends. Again and again, we say. If we praise him, as we sang, as long as we have breath, we will continue to praise him when we no longer have breath in our lungs. We will be before him for the next 10 billion years and beyond. When you stare into your future and you try to figure out whether or not it's okay, you need to keep looking further. We will be with him in his presence, seeing him as he is. And the struggle and the trouble that we wade through in this life will have come to an end And every moment where we have oriented our heart toward Him as our source of security and joy is worth it. Let's stand together and commit our hearts to the Lord and receive this blessing. When Aaron would bless the congregation of Israel and said, Lord, bless you and keep you, number six says, and and, and by doing that, he would put Yahweh's name on the people. God, we recognize, we bear your name. We we want to come into agreement with this Psalm, Lord. So much of reading the Bible, so much of preaching is it's, it's a realignment. It's knowing these things are true, but struggling to believe them, struggling to have them take hold, take root in our hearts. God, we tell you, personally and as a church, Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name. Give glory. God, glorify your name in our midst next year. God, would the reputation of your name be furthered in in the mission that you've sent us into as your people, Lord, in this church. But personally in the places of life where you have called us to be faithful, to thank you that you are at work for the glory of your name. Will we not be resisting that? Will we not be trying to escape the very realities that you have assigned to highlight your goodness and to enable us to trust you? God, would you have our hearts and our attention? God, will we not just be unreflectively being molded and made and conformed into the image of this world. Lord, shriveling up because other things have the affections of our hearts. Lord, we were made to thrive with you. To have a relationship with you that's meaningful and adventurous. Be responsive to you. Sense of being sent by you in this life. Thank you for undeserved blessing that we bear. Lakeview Christian Center. May the Lord bless you and keep you in twenty twenty.